Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, joined by my co-host, Brock Otten. Today, we are pleased to be joined by Jolie Stockel from McKean's Hockey, who is at the Scouting Combine. How are you doing today, Jolie? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Now, I have to ask, what was it like kind of just covering the Combine in person this year? Yeah, it was pretty cool. My first time ever. And it was an experience that I never really thought that I'd be able to have at this age. It was really cool to meet a lot of the players, kind of feel what the environment was like leading up to the NHL draft. And yeah, it was really cool just kind of meeting a bunch of people. And yeah. Now, with your first takeaway, what do you think was the most valuable thing that scouts can gather from from the scouting combine like this? Yeah, I think um, I, I know different scouts view it differently with how much the fit testing kind of means in the, in the grand scheme of things. But uh, I feel like ultimately from, you know, team interviews, I feel like it's so important to learn who the players are as people kind of learn their character and see how they're going to fit into the culture of an, of their NHL team. So I feel like that's kind of the most important takeaway for scouts for sure. Yeah. That's definitely the sort of the feedback that we've gotten from talking to people over the last little bit. I know we had Scott Wheeler on last week. We asked him sort of a, a similar question. He gave pretty much the exact same response um, in terms of guys who had really good combines on the off ice testing portion. We've got Nick Lardis, Terry Trance and Brad Gardner, who were three of the, top performers of the entire event. What do you think that does for their draft stock? Yeah, um, I mean, as far as Nick Lardis goes, it's just another feather in his cap. I feel like um, obviously he's improved his draft stock so much in the second part of the year. Um, But yeah, I feel like for the other two guys as well, Gardner and Terrence, um, I feel like it's not going to put them on teams radar, but I feel like for teams that have already met with them and are interested in them, I feel like that's, that kind of gives them an edge maybe. Um, so yeah, I feel like the fit testing is it's important uh, in the sense that you kind of get to see how much attention they're paying to their fitness and kind of how much they're in the gym and, you know, just kind of that work ethic. Yeah. I think it definitely points to a strong dedication off the ice to be that well prepared for the event. Now um, you did an amazing job covering the event for McKean's and you did a lot of great interviews on your social. Um, I know you had a chance to interview a lot of different OHL players at the event on top of other players, obviously, but with this pod being OHL focused, who were some of your favorite OHL players to speak to? Yeah, honestly, every single OHL player I talked to was really awesome uh, to speak to. Uh, But I think at the top of the list, I really liked uh, speaking to Nick Lardis. I, talked to him a lot about his experience with the Bulldogs and kind of uh, heard how he kind of flipped the switch in the second part of the year. And he's just a really down to earth guy and you can tell he works really hard. And uh, yeah, I just really liked the things he had to say. He has a very, very much a team first mindset. Um, Alex Ferran's also kind of the same in that regard. Um, he was really well-spoken, really mature, just kind of uh, 
I don't even know how I would, how I would really characterize it, but he's just really mature in the way he spoke. And um, yeah, uh, other than that, Colby Barlow really gave me a good impression. He's, I mean, he definitely looks like he's older than he is, but uh, he kind of talks it as well. So yeah, it was cool to talk to them for sure. But yeah, again, all of them were really awesome to meet and speak to. So yeah. Now, did any of the OHL players give you some fun stories or maybe talk about some weird questions they were asked from teams during the combine? Yeah, there was definitely quite a few. Um, yeah, we kind of, we asked them a lot, a lot of the players kind of what questions they got asked. A lot of them didn't really get off the wall questions, but the animal question was pretty common again. So what animal would you characterize yourself as, as on and off the ice? Um, but yeah, we got some interesting answers. Alex Ferran said that off the ice, he was a mama bear and on the ice, he was a grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of off the ice, he's, you know, protecting his team. He's a big team guy, but on the ice, you know, you don't want to mess with him too much. So I like that answer. Um, Hunter Pruskevich said that he, he uh, would say that he's an octopus, which I found to be, be an interesting answer too. Because uh, they're, I think he said they're defensive and aggressive. Um, other than that, just kind of different, interesting conversations. There was a lot of talk about golf and like the off-season kind of uh, habits and uh, other sports they play. Um, we learned that Nick Lardis is the best golfer among OHLers, which is interesting. Uh, so, yeah, on the golf course, Nick Lardis is a threat there as well. <laughs> um, and yeah, one other thing, the Alex Brandon interview was actually really interesting. Uh, he said he was actually almost on Shorzy, uh, but he had to leave for the U18s. But he said he, he uh, was almost an actor, like I think one of the hockey players in Shorzy. <laughs> Very multi-talented individual, I guess. Um, yeah, for sure. To watch full-length episodes and explore past episodes of all our shows, go to THN.com slash podcast. Somebody who kind of said like, how many they had or maybe a sense of who had the most? Yeah. Um, a couple of players, you know, wouldn't really say, which I get for sure. Uh, but Colby Barlow said he spoke with 22 teams. And I think that was the most I heard from OHL players. Uh, I would assume Musty had a lot of conversations as well. Um, and then Callum Ritchie, unfortunately, didn't have any media availability with his his injury right now, but I assume both of those guys were up there. But yeah, Barlow had 22, which, which is a pretty big amount. Uh, but yeah, the most we kind of heard from any player was uh, that Tom Willander had 30 teams speak to him, speak to him. So yeah, pretty crazy. What two teams didn't want to talk to Willander? That's that's what I want to know. <laughs> Who were those two teams? Uh, interesting, but yeah, yeah, definitely definitely curious uh, to to hear about that. Now, on the flip side of that, did you get any sense of which teams were asking the toughest questions? I know we've seen some stuff on Twitter and whatnot about teams asking really in-depth or off-the-wall questions, but did you get a sense from any of the guys from the OHL? Yeah, the team that kept coming up among all players was Montreal. Montreal was asking the hard-hitting questions. Uh, they were apparently giving some kind of scenario questions, like if they had to complete a certain mission, like what they would do in certain situations. Uh, but I think they asked every player that I talked to the animal question too. So I think that was the team that kind of gave the hard hitting answers for sure. Yeah. And I heard that Maple Leafs went through like a lot of video breakdowns and were showing teams or, or sorry, 
not showing teams, but showing players snippets from games and then pausing and then asking them, you know, what was going to happen next. And as a way to sort of look at, I guess, their hockey IQ and then just how they evaluate the game. It's very outside the box thinking, but it definitely seems practical. Yeah, for sure it does. I, I really like that idea too. I feel like that's something I'd implement if that was, if I was in that situation, you really get a good sense of a player's hockey IQ and just kind of their decision-making process too. Yeah. So kind of getting away from the combine now, we had Scott Wheeler on the show last week uh, to talk about his favorites from the OHL crop this year for the draft. And later on in the show, Tony and I are going to go over our personal list. And I, I know you've got your own list and I know that Cal Ritchie is right at the top of it. So what is it about Cal Ritchie's game that you really like? Yeah, I think he's just a guy for me that you can throw him into pretty much every situation and you know that he's going to survive and succeed. Um, so I just really like his his all-around game. Obviously, there's been some, you know, offensive upside questions with his situation in Oshawa, getting so much responsibility and ice time this year. But I think that offensive upside is definitely exciting. You definitely see little flashes of his skill and uh, his hands for sure. Like, uh, and he just sees the ice on a completely different level. You know, he's always thinking a step ahead and kind of getting into those right areas. And, you know, he, he plays really well with, with guys that can put the puck in the net. So I'm really excited to see, especially with Beckett Seneca playing another year, I'm excited to see them two together. I feel like that's going to be a really dangerous duo in the OHL next year. And I feel like they're going to be able to feed off each other pretty well. But yeah, uh, Richie's been at the top of my list all season long. Um, he's probably not going to be that 80, 90 point guy in the NHL or anything, but I feel like he's a pretty safe pick as a kind of a middle six center. And I just really like that idea of, you know, you can throw him into pretty much any situation and you have a chance of some pretty good offensive upside too. Now, I also know that you have Oliver Bonk pretty high in your, on your list. What do you like about Oliver Bonk's game that makes him your second-ranked OHLer? Yeah, I just feel like um, I really like to see development, and Oliver Bonk has really improved his game over the course of the year. You know, he, wasn't, he definitely wasn't my second-ranked OHLer in the beginning of the season, but as the season's progressed, every time I've seen him, he's just become more mature, more aware he's making the right plays. And I just love his defensive stick. Um, he seems to eliminate entries right off, right as, right as soon as they come in the zone. Uh, and his defensive stick is, is awesome for that. Um, but yeah, just overall, I feel like he's really matured his game. I feel like he would take a lot of risks in the beginning part of the season, uh, but he's kind of settled that down a little bit and um, kind of opened up his game a little bit and, his passing, he's got a great first pass as well. So, uh, yeah, I just feel like he's a guy at the next level that can play a lot of minutes. Uh, he could play the penalty kill, and he's just a really good, like, active defenseman that that you want kind of eliminating those chances as soon as the, they come on the entry. Now, I think I know what the answer to this question is going to be, but do you have a favorite sleeper from the OHL, maybe a guy that you're higher on than the consensus, or maybe a guy that you think is going to go higher and a lot of people have him. Yeah, well, ever since September, Easton Cowan's been my sleeper pick. Um, but honestly, at this point, I don't know how much of a sleeper he is. I think a lot of people, especially after his playoff performance, uh, I think a lot of people are having him kind of in that third round area, maybe even higher, I've heard from some people. Um, 
but a couple other guys, I would say Brad Gardner. I really love talking to him at the combine. And uh, again, he's kind of one of the, uh, he's a two-way center. And um, I just really like those kind of, those kind of guys. And I feel like he's got a lot of upside, especially being able to find a permanent role on that, uh, that stacked Ottawa 67s team this year. Um, and then another name I'll throw in is Ethan Hay. I feel like he's a guy kind of, Maybe, maybe in the later rounds, fifth, sixth round, I feel like he could be a really good pickup for a team. Really solid defensive centerman, one of the better defensive players in the in the league. So, yeah, those two guys I really like. Well, Julie, we really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again to Julie Stockley for joining the podcast. Brock, what did you think about her take on the Combine, and uh, what were your takeaways from the Combine? Yeah, I mean, the, the off-ice testing – it is what it is, right? Like, I do feel like you gain a sense of where players are at in their physical development. Um, one thing I've always thought of is, do teams prefer players who don't perform all that well at a combine in terms of off-ice testing? Because maybe that's saying like, whoa, like if this guy starts taking his physical fitness seriously and he's already this good, I mean, how much better could he improve versus maybe a kid who might have maxed out their physical potential. That's something that I've kind of always thought of when I see this, the off-ice testing being kicked around. Um, and in the interview process, obviously, you and I both know how important that is to teams. It's the most important part that, that teams undertake in that event. And it's just to get a sense of how players feel about their game, the awareness that they have about their own game and the improvements that they need to make, you know, where they fit, like Jolie said, where they fit within the culture and uh, where they fit within the team's value system and, and beliefs and how they're going to fit in that way. So yeah, there's a lot that you can learn from it, but it's just one small piece of the large puzzle, right? Yeah. I think that's what it is. At the end of the day, it's not the NFL combine. We don't get all these tests that are directly translatable to NHL skills and whatnot. So it, it, the, the on ice or off ice testing, sorry, because because they do no on ice testing, the off ice testing is, it is what it is. It's cool to see the guys be able to max at the VO2 max or do 15 chin-ups or whatever it ends up being. But at the end of the day, the, the combine is where it got teams are able to go, all right, we have a chance to interview 15 guys, 20 guys all at once and kind of gauge all the players off of each other, Get see whose answers are similar, see whose answers are different, and see who you like in, in personality-wise. I think that's the, the big gain from this. I will say, as I've always said, I think they should do more on-ice testing. I think the CHL top prospect game testing that they do is so, so much better. I think seeing guys do three-cone drills, agility drills, and different things like that, puck handling, skating, with and without the puck, I think those are the areas where you can gain some actual on-ice value from. But I know there's a lot of people that are like, well, the guys can get injured. Yeah, guys get injured at the NFL Combine every year, and they still do that, make a big spectacle of it, and the NFL makes a boatload of money. So maybe the NHL should should consider that maybe just a little bit. But let's move on to our top five draft prospects from the OHL. We've got similar lists in terms of our top four all being the same. But let's start with our number fives, and I'll give you the floor first. And you have Oliver Bonk at number five. Yeah, and I like Oliver Bonk for the same reasons that Jolie mentioned. Um maybe not quite as high on him as, as she is, but I do really like him. I, I like the projectability of his defensive upside. I think that this is somebody who's going to be a very good long-term pro defender, maybe not a first pairing guy, but somebody who's going to be able to eat a ton of minutes, uh, anchor a penalty kill, be a solid number four 
who can play with uh, maybe a more up-tempo, higher-risk offensive defender. I think that, honestly, him being in London does help things. I have a lot of faith in, in how the Hunters develop defenders, and I think that his game is going to really develop at both ends of the ice as he gets more ice time, more responsibility. And we've seen that time and time again and in, in how London develops defenders. And I just see a really safe, projectable game from Bonk. I think his game is predicated on quick puck movement and, and quick decision-making. And he's not the type of guy who's going to carry end to end and, and he's not flashy. He's, he's not a high risk player. I think that eventually we're going to see better offensive production from him. Um, I think that by the time he graduates from, from the OHL, he's probably going to be one of the better offensive defenders in the league. But you and I have talked about this at length in the pod to be a really good NHL defender in the top four, even if you're playing more of a defensive role, you've got to be a good offensive defender at the junior level because otherwise you're probably going to project to, to be more as a, a depth option. And that's what separates that, right? And I just like a lot of things about Bonk's game. He's somebody who's really grown on me over the course of the year too. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on anything with, that you said about Bonk there for the most part. I think he is a guy that just missed my list personally. And my number five is Luke Pinelli. And I think that just kind of goes kind of towards our different philosophies when we're ranking guys. I think you do look at the more safe NHL projection side of things and a guy that's going to play. Whereas in my mind, I, I always look to see get that swing. I want to swing on the high upside guy, the guy that's going to make a big difference in the NHL if he makes it and if he doesn't. You likely at this point in the draft where we're ranking these number five guys, especially you're probably not too worried about losing that second or third round pick because they don't all make it and the odds are going down. So with me for Pinelli, I think there's a lot to like about his game. He's so skilled, so tenacious. I think that one of the things that when I talked to him earlier this year was he establishes his body position so well and understands that his size is a disadvantage in a lot of ways, but he can still use it as an advantage and get under guys use his stick to kind of work the, those pucks off the boards. He's not afraid to throw the body around. I think we saw at the top prospects game when he laid out Connor Bedard, that he's more than willing to throw the body around. And yes, Connor Bedard is a smaller guy, but I've seen him do it against guys that are much bigger, including Oliver Bonk. So it, it's fun to see a guy like that throw his body around. He has the, the skill and the, the offensive game to do it. I think his defensive game, it's hit and miss. I think there are times where he makes some really good plays and other times where he seems a little bit disinterested. But I think the, the area of his game that I think gets kind of miscast a little bit and i think scott wheeler talked about this a little bit last week is his skating i think by no means am i saying he's an elite skater or, or even a super high level skater but i think some of the skating issues that his brother had a few years ago kind of get lumped into him a little bit and i don't think his skating issues are as great as his brothers were i think he is a little bit quicker a little bit more agile the straight line speed certainly needs some work but when he gets going it he's been one of the faster guys tracked uh clocked blue line blue line so there are moments where he's his skating is not a, an issue at all and he does get that speed i think it's really that first couple steps that are going to need work and then just kind of working on being able to maintain it throughout a game i think that's a big area but like i said with me at, at the stage of where our number five guys get picked in that th second third round that's where I'm starting to look at guys where I just want to take the upside, get a swing on a guy and, and see where they project. Because if, if Luca Vanelli hits, he could be a really valuable middle six forward, similar to kind of the way you talked about Oliver Bonk being a middle, middle pair defenseman. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I, I know I'm lower on Pinelli than, than you are. And I think it's more so that I don't really see the, the high upside for him. I, I think of him as more of like a high Q high energy guy. Who's going to be like a Dylan Dubé type, 
at the NHL mm-hmm. level who can kind of slide up and down the lineup, but probably settles into being a third liner. And then when you factor in some of those issues with his projectability with you know, him not being the quickest, not being the biggest. There isn't those elite physical tools. I really don't know how much, for me anyway, how much there there is in terms of separation between him and a guy like Denver Barkey. I think that both of them probably project to be similar kinds of NHL players. And I'm not going to use the word dime a dozen, um, <laughs> but I, I do think these are types of guys that you can find in the mid-rounds who maybe have a little bit more projectability in terms of athletic and, and physical ability. Uh, there, there are numerous guys that we could give examples of, but I think that's sort of why I have Penelope just a little bit lower down on my list. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. And to get into our top four, let's start with the guy I have ranked number four. You have ranked number two, and that's Callum Ritchie, the uh, center from the Oshawa Generals. He's dealt with some shoulder injuries this year. And, and for me, this group kind of all bunches together, especially the next three on the list. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. It's definitely a bunch. Uh, I could see these guys sort of going in any sort of order. Uh, honestly, I probably Lardis, and we'll talk about that in a second. I, I think probably goes a little bit lower in the NHL than both you and I and, and some other people have him. Um, but getting back to Richie, Scott Wheeler really, really hit the nail on the head last week as to why I personally value Richie. And, and that's he elevates his game to another level when he's playing with other players that are of a higher level. And I think that really points to how well he thinks the game. He's somebody that has played a lot of different roles for a variety of different teams this year. And when he's playing with those other high-end players, like we saw at the Helenka Gretzky, when he led the tournament scoring, like we saw at the U18s, when he was with Matthew Wood and Macklin Celebrini, he suddenly becomes a play driver and somebody who is one of the better players on the ice consistently. And I just think that there is a really safe, and again, I'm using that word, and I think it does go back to what you mentioned about the types of things that I value as an evaluator. Um, and I do think there is a very safe projection with Richie. He's, he's a big body who thinks the game really well. You know, maybe maybe he isn't more than a, a decent middle six guy who can play a variety of different roles. Maybe that's center, maybe it's the wing. Um, but, you know, maybe we're miscasting him because he's not sort of that – sexy player and i mean that in a way of just like oliver bonk he's not somebody who is dynamic in transition a lot of that does have to do with some of the skating issues he might have currently but that's not really his game he likes to slow things down um he likes to play down low he he's got really good vision coming off the wall he'll work the cycle he's he's a tireless worker in playing through traffic I think that as he gets confident, as he gains strength, as those shoulder issues hopefully get put behind him, I think we're going to see him play a little bit heavier of a game. And I I think that is the number one concern I'm probably most worried about. And it's not the skating. It's it's the inconsistency in how he applies his size. Um, but I, I do see a player who could have a sort of Ryan O'Reilly-like projection at the NHL level. If you, If you remember when we... We're scouting Ryan O'Reilly for the NHL draft X number of years ago. He was somebody who had similar concerns to Cal Ritchie, right? He was somebody who was, oh, well, the pace isn't great. Well, he's not a great skater. Well, what's the upside there? He's already pretty polished. You know, is there upside for him to be a first-line player? And he's ultimately ultimately been a fantastic pro and somebody that any team would be happy to draft 
inside even their top 10. If you can get a Brian O'Reilly player anywhere between like eight and 15, I mean, you're laughing all the way to the bank in my opinion. Yeah, I think you touched on it there. The IQ and the work ethic, I think, are the two things that always stand out to me with Callum Murchie. He's a guy that I think has gotten the reputation, deservedly so, off the ice for being one of the harder workers in the NA, or in the OHL. He's a guy that understands the game in a variety of levels. I think, like you said, when he plays with higher-end players, he's able to kind of take on that bigger role, and it, it seems seamless to him. I think early in the year, we saw them kind of try him with Brett Harrison a couple of times before the trade, and it just never quite clicked. I just don't think their their skill sets mesh together very well. But I think once we saw Richie really take that, that role on as the team leader, I think that's where you started to see him shine a little bit more. His He doesn't have the flash or the flair or, or the upside necessarily, I guess, that some people would kind of deem on him with the, the high-end skill. But like you said, he plays a really projectable game, a really smart game, understands where his teammates are and, and just how to forward the play. And I think I value that a lot in a, a player's game. And I think that's where you start to see Cal Murchie's uh, upside really come from is he's able to make the next play the right play. And I, I think you're always not worried about him going out there and really kind of creating mistakes and creating havoc in your defensive end. He's able to kind of play a safer game, like you mentioned. I think that's where the value with Cal Murchie comes from. He's an interesting player, a guy that's certainly, like I said, he's right in this list of guys that I think in the OHL, that top four has really separated themselves. Um, and I think he's certainly deservedly so being in there, putting him at two, putting him at three, putting him at four on this list or whatever, or even at first, like Jolie has him. I don't think you're worried about it because I think this OHL group is pretty tightly packed. Yeah, I agree. And I think you really brought up an interesting point about his ability to advance the game. I don't know if there's a better prospect, at least in, from the OHL this year, that manipulates space, manipulates defenders as well as Richie does. He He's the master of that like little quick slip pass in the offensive zone. He's not somebody who's making those seam passes you know, uh, width to width, right? He's he's all about inviting contact. And yes, he, he doesn't really play that heavy game yet. Like I mentioned, he's not playing through players, but instead he will invite that contact to be able to manipulate defenders and manipulate space and make his teammates better. And I, I think that is something that is very projectable to the NHL level. All right, now let's move on to the guy that is the only player on our list that is in the exact same position, Nick Lardis. We both have him at three. This kid was perfectly good in Peterborough. I think he, he was doing a lot of the right things, but then he absolutely exploded when he got traded to Hamilton, becoming one of the best goal scorers in the OHL and becoming one of the most dangerous offensive players in general, using his speed and everything to advance play and really make an impact for that Bulldogs team. What's your take on his game? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I, I think that Lardis probably goes lower than both you and I have him um, and some other people have him. Uh, I think he's going to get sort of like the Jordan Cairo treatment. If you recall, he slipped in the draft and ended up going sort of in that mid second range. And I think that's probably where we see Lardis go in that mid to late second, um, which I, uh, you hate to use the word steal because we don't really know it's all projection based. Right. But I do feel like if somebody is drafting Lardis in that mid to late second round, they're getting great value because yes, there, there are some concerns. He is a smaller player who plays, a north-south sort of attacking style. He's usually when you have a guy that plays that style, you want him to be a six foot three power winger, right? Um, but with his speed and his shot and 
I think his improving skill level, I think this is a guy that can find a lot of success playing that kind of role. And I think that his playoff performance in round one, where he almost helped Hamilton beat Barry, I think that was really, really big, not just for me, but I think that's really big for NHL scouts because he could have easily gone in there and laid an egg. He could have easily thrown up, you know, one point over four games. Hamilton could have gotten swept by an on paper better buried team, a, a more veteran laden team anyway. But instead, he was fantastic. He was probably the best player in that series, maybe outside of Brant Clark. And I think that goes a long way to showing that he can play through the rough stuff. He can be a guy that plays through traffic. He can use his speed to attack middle of the ice and, and drive the net and, and find those openings in the offensive zone to use his shot and, and to make plays. And I think a lot of people are just sort of hyper-focused on, on him being a, a little bit smaller and, and him being maybe not the most dynamic guy. I mean, he's not Andrew Crystal or Zach Benson in the way that he can carry and, and the way that he is dynamic in the offensive zone. His game is fairly simplified, but what he does well, um, I think will work at the next level with some adjustments. Yeah, and I think I think the development of his skill throughout the year, you saw him gain confidence as he was with Hamilton. He started to show some of the, the puck skills, some of the deeks and dangles that we weren't really seeing from him early in the year. I think, like you said, he plays a very simplified game of get the puck up ice, use your speed, attack, put defenders on their heels, and, and then strike. He has that great shot. I think he, his playmaking ability is going to take a step this year as uh, or next season as he gets back into the, the OHL. There's going to be a lot to like about his game. I could see him being a really high-end offensive producer at the OHL level, and I think that's going to bode well for him in the future. I think that shot's going to play. The speed is going to play. It's going to be about can he develop physically a little bit? Can he get a little bit more rough and tumble? And I think that's the, the area that you're going to really kind of look for in his game. He's a really fun player, one of my favorite players to watch from this draft class in terms of seeing his development throughout the year. Because like I said, there were so many things that he was doing so right in Peterborough early in the year, and he just wasn't given that that run, I think, with, with the Peets. I think they were looking to give some of their older players a little bit more run and a little bit more ice time. And, and Lardis kind of got pushed down and then ultimately traded. And I think looking – I mean, the Peets aren't going to complain about trading him because they won the OHL championship and had a decent showing at the Memorial Cup at the end of the day, getting to the semifinals. But – He's the guy that a year from now, two years from now, I think the pizza are looking at and going, ah, it'd be nice if we had him on our roster. That OHL title is pretty nice, though. So Nick Lars is a really fun player. Like you said, you don't want to say steal at this point because at the end of the day, we just don't know yet. But this could be a guy that the, some team that drafts him in the second round, keep your eye on him if it's your favorite team because that could be a, a pretty valuable prospect going down the road. Let's get to a guy that's number – let's get to, to – a guy that's number three, two on my list and number one on your list, and that's Colby Barlow. This is a player that's been absolutely fantastic this year. 46 goals. He probably would have hit 50 if he didn't get injured right at the end of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I know there are some teams that soured on him a little bit because of his U18 performance where he couldn't really quite get going. But what was your take on Colby Barlow's game, and why is he your number one guy? I just see a guy that's going to be – a really core complementary piece for an NHL team. Like if you're looking for a player who can play a heavy complementary game and score goals, it's Coley Barlow. And he doesn't need to 
I don't think he needs to be the world's best skater. He doesn't need to be the most dynamic puck handler to play the way that he does. Um, I think you look back to maybe a guy like Jack Quinn, right? Um, different kind of player for sure. But when we were ranking him quite high, not everybody was, but myself, I was very high on Jack Quinn. And it was for similar reasons. I saw a guy who I thought could be a really good complementary piece at the NHL level who could play in a variety of different roles who could bring versatility, whose coaches would really love him. And he's developed really well. And I think that Colby kind of projects in a similar way. I think that he's a safe bet to, to be a top six winger who can fit in with, you know, a, a pace driving creative center who can get him the puck, who Barlow can do some of that dirty work down low, who can be that F1 on the forecheck, who can drive the net, who can, um, you know, be, the more defensively responsible player on a line who can penalty kill, who can play the PP one. There's just a lot of different things that Barlow can do. And I do think that there are areas of his skating um, that will improve. I think that we saw that with Mason McTavish. I think that his agility and his ability to move East West and his edge work and his confidence in using his edges really improved when he returned to the OHL and it's made him a already good young NHL player. And I think that Barlow can have, similar success in improving his skating um, because I think his quickness is, is fine. It's, it's just other components of his skating that need work. And he's the first to admit that. I saw that at the combine um, in some of his interviews. And I, I just think that Barlow is the type of guy that you're ultimately going to win in the playoffs with too. I think that we're seeing that with some of the teams that have gone far this year. And I think NHL teams are going to really value him. And I, I think He's a pretty safe bet, in, in my opinion, to go in that top 15 range. Yeah, Colby Barlow is a guy that I think is really interesting because I think I have no doubt about him being an NHLer. I think he's going to be a very good middle six guy. I think that's where our difference is. I think you project him as a top six guy. I project him as more of a middle six guy. I think my thing comes up with is if everyone always lauds him about his shot. He's a very good shooter. I think the 46 goals are obvious. It's not uh, you don't score 46 an accident. But I, I think sometimes your 46 can be inflated. I think uh, there are a number of times this year as I'm watching him, you're seeing pucks go off of the goalie's shoulder or, un, or just kind of squeak through a goalie's arm. And at the NHL level, you're not going to get those goals. Those aren't going to those are going to be stopped by a, a goaltender. And I think one of the other things he does uh, quite frequently that kind of throws me off of his his game a little bit is he'll shoot from above the dots, and then he does what you want him to do from there is he'll follow up and get the rebound. Sometimes those rebounds aren't going to be there, especially when you're shooting from distance up, up above the dots. I think there's going to be some adjustment that's going to be needed in his game. But like you said, I think there's a lot of value in terms of him being able to kind of play in a bunch of different situations, be a guy that coaches absolutely love. And I think that's going to make him the the guy in this OHL class that I have no doubt is going to be an NHL player at the next level. But let's move on to the guy that I have at number one, and I'll make my case for him before you do because you have him down at number four, and I think that's going to be an interesting little debate, and that's Quentin Musty. I think he's a guy that, like I said earlier, I value the, the upside a little bit more. You value the projection a little bit more, and that's where we get some differences on our list. With Quentin Musty, I think the the big thing that he always gets credit or knocked for is the effort and in the engagement in the offensive zone or in all three zones. And I think that's certainly something that was definitely a, a concern early in the year. And it's been a concern throughout his career in the OHL and even going back to his midget days. But 
I think it's something that improved throughout this year. I think that in the playoffs, especially you saw him going around absolutely wreaking havoc, throwing hits and, and playing that really intense game that we've wanted to see all year uh, from him. And he's developed this playmaking side that you really value from him. I think he's one of the best playmakers from this OHL draft class. And I think his shot is as good or, or better than just about anybody's in this OHL draft class. He just doesn't use it as much as everybody else. And I think that's an area of his game that can improve as well. And, and I think he develop, he blends the power and the speed and the skill really, really well together. And I think that's the valuable part about his game. Engagement issues, they're being worked on. I think early in the year he had mononucleosis, which is never a fun thing to deal with. But he, he said he was dealing with it right, basically through Christmas and started to feel better after the coaching change, starting to feel even better in the new year. And that's where you started to see him really take off. I think in the new year he was the highest scoring OHLer. I think that's where you, you see his game improve. And then, like I said, that like we mentioned with Nick Lardis, the playoff performance, Quinton Musty, despite losing in the first round, was an absolute beast for the Sudbury Wolves. There's a lot to like about his game. Yeah, and I'm not going to disagree with any of what you said, Tony. I think everything you just said is 100% factual. I think that when we're talking about upside, Musty is the most creative, the most skilled player from this OHL class. And when you combine that with his big frame and his ability to play a power game as inconsistent as it is, it, it makes him very alluring. Um, but why I'm, I'm a little bit lower on him and why I see him as sort of like a late first, early second guy is players who have inconsistent compete level. And in my opinion, some skating concerns, which I do think Musty has. I think he definitely needs to improve his quickness. I think once he gets going, he, he's fine. But I think that first step quickness is a concern. I think when you combine quickness issues with uh, compete issues, you you have a player who sometimes doesn't project very well. Um, I keep going back to a guy like Michael Del Cole. And Michael Del Cole was a player who had quickness issues compete issues. And then when he got to that higher level, he wasn't getting to those, those scoring areas. And you talked about how, well, you know, Musty has this great shot, which he does 100%, but why isn't he scoring more? And why isn't he getting to those soft spots? Why isn't he finding himself open more than he does? Um, and, and I think that that sort of paints a picture of a player who, I think is most successful working on the perimeter and not attacking between the dots. And I wonder when he's forced to play more of a complementary role at the NHL level, when he's going to be paired with a center who, you know, was responsible for a lot of pace and play driving, you know, how is he going to adapt to that? Right. Um, and that's sort of my, my concern with him. I think the upside is extremely high. Um, but I just have a few question marks based on players that I kind of liked in previous years who burned me, like Michael Del Cole, like a Brendan Perlini, like guys like that, where you know that that compete level, that inconsistency in their compete level ended up being sort of their undoing. And it, it scares me. Honestly, if if I'm picking in that top 20 range with how many good forwards there are available this year i think there are guys that i would feel personally safer selecting over musty even if the upside is a little bit higher and again that's where our um conflicting viewpoints and belief systems 
uh, are very, very evident, Tony. And then that's, you know, I, I'm looking for a guy who I think has upside, but also, you know, is a safer bet to, to play, especially if I'm, if I'm picking in that, like, top five, top six range, it's upside all the way. I want that guy. I'm picking this high, and I don't know when I'm going to pick this high again, unless you're the Arizona Coyotes. Um, <laughs> I don't know when I'm picking this high again, right? So I've really got to make sure this is going to be a cornerstone for my franchise. But if I'm picking in that sort of like, you know, 10 to 20 range, I really want to make sure that I'm getting a player who's going to help advance my team and take them to that next level. And then maybe I'm throwing sort of higher end dart swings on upside in that like second and third round range on guys like Nick Lardis, if they're still available um, or, or guys um, from other countries uh, in Europe who maybe their upside was hidden a little bit because they're playing at the pro level. And again, that that's just me. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you for the most part. I think that's a, a big issue for this year's OHL draft class in general. I think even going back to Colby Barlow, going back to guys like Nick Lardis and Cal Ritchie, is you don't quite know. They, they all have kind of glaring issues. They all have their 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 flaw. And I think that's kind of why we've seen this OHL draft class go from a, a year where we thought maybe, maybe Cal Ritchie, maybe Barlow, maybe Musty, maybe a guy like Cam Allen, who neither of us talked about, who's fallen off the board in, in the OHL. All these guys could be top 15 picks, top 20 picks. And now we're starting to see maybe one of these guys go in the top 15. Maybe one of these guys go in the top 20. And I think that's just kind of this OHL draft class. You mentioned that uh, a guy like Brandon Pirlina reminds you of Quentin Musty. I I get those same flashbacks with Brett McLean and Colby Barlow. I'm like, is there that in his game? Is is he going to be able to take the step that Brett McLean wasn't able to take? And I think he is going to be able to, just like I think Quentin Musty is going to be able to take the step that guys like Pirlini and stuff didn't take. But this entire OHL draft class is kind of taking a step back from where we thought they were at the start of the year. And that may, I don't even know if it's necessarily a product of the OHL in general. I think it could be that, that missed year that a lot of these OHL kids uh, had, whether it was in midget or whether it was the first year of junior. Um, it, it could be a, a number of things. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is a lot of the kids at West, a lot of the kids over in Europe and the States, they took huge steps this year and really just kind of asserted themselves above some of these OHLers. And so we're still going to get a lot of good quality OHLers. Like you said, I think a Nick Lardis in the second round, a Cal Ritchie, if he ends up going at the end of the first round, would be a really good pick. Either Barlow or Musty in the, in the middle of the first to the late first and early second, wherever they end up going, could be really good. I, I think that's going to be really fun to see. It's a fun draft class, and I think that's uh, a good spot for us to end this week's episode. It's a good draft class. Brock, what's your final thoughts? And give us – actually, before you give us your final thoughts on this this OHL draft class, give us your top five from five to one. Yeah, so top five from five to one, we've got Colby Barlow. We've got Cal Ritchie. We've got Nick Lardis. We've got Quentin Musty. And we've got Oliver Ball. All right, and my top five – is Quinton Musty, Colby Barlow, Nick Lardis, Cal Ritchie, and Luca Pinelli. Uh, Oliver Bonk was just off my list. What's your overall thoughts in this draft class since I kind of just gave mine? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a vanilla OHL draft class. And I do think a lot of that has to do with just that lost year that, that so many of these players had. And a lot of players from Ontario are, are still playing catch-up. And I think next year we're going to see a, a much – stronger group from the OHL we're going to see in my opinion there's there's probably three or four guys who have the chance of being drafted inside the top 10 next year 
And that's sort of what we're missing from this group, right? We're missing that guy who we're used to seeing prior to COVID from the OHL who was a franchise player, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're spoiled. The OHL is one of the best feeder leagues in, in all of the world, in my opinion. And I don't think that's being biased. I think that the number of players in the NHL from the OHL proved that point. And we're spoiled in the sense that we're used to seeing players at the top of the draft from the OHL who project as franchise players. And we just don't see that in this group. We see a lot of really good players, a lot of guys who are going to play, but I don't necessarily see anybody that's going to be a frontline consistent all-star who's winning awards. I agree with you there, but let's wrap up today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari for myself and at Brock Otten for Brock. Follow the hockey news at the hockey news. Subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. Give us ratings and reviews. We appreciate it all. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it may be. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week with THN on the O.